We talked this morning in our Bible study about, Lord, what will you have me to do as a parent? I realize that not all of you are parents. Some may have never married. God did not say you had to marry. You can still live a Christian life and not be married. But you may be kind of like the uh, young man that I heard about who had never married. And somebody came to him one day. man was talking to him. He said, why have you never married? He said, well, I'm looking for the perfect wife. He said, you mean to tell me that over the years, he said, you've not found at least one woman that you'd like to marry? He said, oh, yes. He said, I found one. He said, she was a perfect woman, and he said, she was the perfect woman for me. He said, well, why didn't you marry her? He said, because she was looking for the perfect man. (laughs) So you understand there are no perfect people. But we do serve a perfect God. Turn to Matthew chapter 20. I'm only going to read just a section of this passage, and then we'll talk about some of the other things later. You know, does Brother Chad preach like he makes announcements? Does he? I thought he did. (laughs) Does a good job. I don't like making announcements. That unnerves me to make announcements. I will make announcements, but I don't like it. But I don't mind preaching. It still gives me some nervousness, always had, but nevertheless, I enjoy preaching, but I don't enjoy making announcements. The text, Matthew 20, beginning in verse 24. When they heard it, the ten, they were moved with indignation against the two brethren. But Jesus called them unto him, and he said, I know that the princes of the Gentiles, or ye know that the princes of the Gentiles, exercise dominion over them, and they that are great exercise authority upon them. But it shall not be so among you. But whosoever will be great among you, let him be your minister. And whosoever will be chief among you, let him be your servant. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister and to give his life a ransom for many. When you read this particular passage, you understand that our Lord talks a great deal about servanthood. Even as the Son of Man came not to be ministered unto, but to minister. Now, if you understand the the Greek language, this particular word is the word diakonos. And the word diakonos is the word that is translated in other passages, or at least in some passages, as the word deacon. However, it is not talking about deacon here. In fact, you can find where our Lord used, kind of used the word interchangeably with the word doulos, which is a bondservant or a slave, and this particular word diakonos. But Jesus used it twice in verse 28. The word that he uses in verse 27 is the word doulos. So we are bondservants of the Lord. We are supposed to be bondservants, but we also can be servants. In fact, the word diakonos is a word that means one who serves voluntarily. Doulos is one who is an indentured servant, one who is a slave. 
And so there's a difference between the words, and yet the words are sometimes used interchangeably, referring to different ones. You may recall in Matthew 23 that Jesus was talking about uh, various things that the Jews used to call other men, such as rabbi, or father, or master, and Jesus said, do not do it. Do not do it. You know, we, I don't know that people can even understand that today. Particularly in the day and time when father and rabbi and master and reverend and a number of names are given to various individuals that do not deserve those names. In fact, our Lord said not to call men these names. And then he went on to say in verse, about verse 11 in that chapter, he said, but he that is greatest among you, let him be your servant. That's the word doulos. Let him be your servant. Uh, it's difficult when people read this. In fact, you know, I think about the fact that our Savior could have come to this earth. He could have been a king in this world. He could have sat on a throne and he could have ruled the world and, and he would have deserved it, folks. But that's not the purpose that our Savior came to this earth. He didn't come to this earth to be ministered unto. And by the way, the word minister is actually the word servant. So when you read the word minister, and I, I don't mind being called the minister at the Corinth Church of Christ. I usually use the title or the um, terminology of evangelist, but I don't mind being called a minister as long as people understand that the word minister actually means a servant. But I'm a preacher, and I preach the gospel. Our Lord could have been born in a wealthy family. And he could have had bond servants that waited on him constantly. But again, he didn't. He came to this world in a very poor family. That is from the standpoint of this world's goods. Our Savior's uh, earthly parents were not wealthy parents. That's the reason why you'll find that whenever they offered a sacrifice, they offered a sacrifice of turtle doves, not a sacrifice of a lamb or the sacrifice of a, of a calf. But the sacrifice of turtle doves, because the poor were given that opportunity. And that's what our Savior's parents did, that is, his earthly parents, in Luke chapter 1. Now, I think that when Jesus came to this earth, that he came to a nation that was probably despised, as it, just almost as much as it is today in many cases, by a lot of people. And here's the reason it was despised. Number one is because they were worshiping the only true and living God, Jehovah God. Number two, they were despised by a lot of other nations because they, they understood that they were the chosen people of God. God chose them to be his special people. But I want you to understand why he did that. He did not do that to inflate the ego of the Israelite people. He did that because he was going to bring the Savior, the Messiah, into the world through the Jewish nation. And that's what he did. But not only that, when you read Isaiah 42 and verse 6, you find that our Lord intended, that Jehovah God intended for the Israelites to be a light to the Gentiles. He wanted them to be an example to the Gentiles, to lead the Gentiles to Jehovah, but instead they drove them further away because of their egotistic ways 
and because of their hatred for other people. God did not intend that. Now, when I read this particular passage in Matthew 20, I see that our, our, our Lord's disciples, his own 12, had troubles. They had difficulties in being able to cope with this business of serving. And you know, folks, it's still the same in our day and time. There are still people today that do not want to serve. When I read this passage and I see that, that you remember what James and John did, and this is in the context of the text, if you read some of the previous verses, beginning around verse 20, you'll find that the sons of Zebedee, James and John, came to Jesus with their mother. And they had a request. They wanted a certain thing done. And Jesus asked them, what will you? What do you want, in other words? And so they, they told the Lord, or at least she told the Lord, well, what, what I want is for you to make my two sons, one to sit on your right hand and the other on your left hand when you come into your kingdom. You read what Jesus said. Jesus said, uh, can they drink the cup that I'm going to drink of? Can they be baptized with the baptism that I'm going to be baptized with? And then those two disciples spoke up and said, yes, we can. Oh, no, I don't know. Could they? Well, Jesus told them, indeed, you will drink the cup that I drink of. You will be baptized with the baptism that I'm baptized with. It wasn't long after the church began to remember that James was beheaded. John lived, as far as we know, a life where he lived fully. But James was dead not long after the church began. So when I read this, I see, I see the disciples wanting to do something that they really were not allowed to do. The Lord was not going to establish some physical kingdom on this earth, and there are still people today that believe this to be the case. If that was the case, then Jesus would have done it in the first century. He wouldn't have waited until 2,000 years later, or 3,000 years later, or 10,000 years later. Our Lord would have done it then. But He didn't come to the earth to do that. He didn't come to the earth to be ministered unto. He came to minister. He came to serve. That's exactly what our Savior did. He served. You know, greatness depends upon being a servant. I've heard people say, well, you know, I worship God on a regular basis, and I, I, um, I live right every day of my life. That's good. I'm glad that you do that. But you know, there's more to the Christian life than... Worshiping God, yes, we're required to do that. There's more than living right out in the world that, that, that we're supposed to do. What else should we do? We're supposed to be serving. You know, I have observed over the years that people sometimes when they walk by, for instance, if you see a piece of trash lying on the floor, they'll just walk right by it or they'll walk on top of it. I observed this morning as I was standing in the back, this before the worship started, and um, there was a piece, piece of paper laying on the floor. It wasn't trash, I don't think. It probably fell out of somebody's Bible or something, but it was laying on the floor, and I was about to pick it up when a lady came, bent over, picked it up, laid it upon the pew. You see, a servant, a servant to pick it up. A servant won't walk over it. Did you know that? I, uh, 
You know, if, if, if somebody makes a mess, a servant will clean it up. I saw that this, this morning. lady that had uh, spilled her food in the floor and another lady that I observed, she knows who she is, and the other lady knows who she is. I'm not going to call names, but she was down on the floor mopping up the mess. You see, a servant of the Lord will do whatever he needs or she needs to do in order to serve. There is nothing that is too good for us as children of God to do. We need to be those who serve the Lord. So what I want to do this evening is I want to recognize the fact that when the Lord said, when, when Saul asked the question, Lord, what will you have me to do? And the Lord told him. I want us to look this evening from the perspective of, Lord, what will you have me to do as a servant? And the way I want us to look at that is to look at a, look at a, um, a particular character in the New Testament. Turn, if you would, to Acts chapter 6. Here's the servant that I want to observe this evening. Acts chapter 6. You remember there was a problem in the church. It didn't take long for there to be a problem when the church began. And the reason is, is because, you know, you've got people and, and people sometimes are hard to get along with and sometimes people don't do what they should do. And so you, you, you sometimes have problems. But now, in, in this particular case, the church in Jerusalem was having problems. The Grecian widows were being neglected by the Hebrews. Now, we're not talking about Greeks. We're talking about Grecian widows, that is, widows of those who were raised outside of Palestine, outside of Jerusalem. They were being neglected, and so there was murmuring that started. When the murmuring started, the, the apostles said, okay, said, we'll, we'll stop this, we'll, we'll make this right. And so they said, we want the church to choose seven men. And they did. They chose seven men. And sometimes we call them deacons, and I believe that they probably were uh, deacons, but they were special servants, just like a deacon is, special servant. And they, they were going to take care of the Grecian widows. That was going to be their responsibility. Now, when I examined this, and there are seven of them, remember, uh, one of them, a couple of them are very familiar, Philip and Stephen. But I want us to look at Philip. When I examine this, I find that Philip is not a proud man. Now, by that I mean he, he doesn't feel like he's too good for anything. And the reason I say that is because if he had felt that way, he wouldn't have taken care of these Grecian widows. He wouldn't have done what, what all seven of these men were doing. He would have said, no, I'm not going to do that. But Philip did exactly what they asked him to do. You know, I've observed over the years, in fact, I had a, <clears throat> had a man tell me on one occasion, he says, I will not serve this congregation as a deacon, but I will serve as an elder. If they don't appoint me an elder, then don't ask them to appoint me a deacon. That kind of disturbed me. I'm thinking, what, what in the world? What kind of an attitude is that? 
If you don't appoint me an elder, I, I remember a, a, a gentleman that I love so dearly. When I moved to a place, this had all happened before I arrived. He was appointed as an elder. And someone objected in the congregation, didn't think he should be an elder after they appointed him, and I don't know how long that was, but they objected, and they said, now this brother has never taught a public class, never the, the auditorium, uh, any other class, never taught a public class, so we don't believe that he's qualified to be an elder. And so what this brother did is he resigned as an elder. And he went to the elders, and this is what he told them. He did not say, don't ask me to do anything. He did not say that. When he went to the elders, he said, I'm going to resign. And whatever you want me to do, he said, I'll do it. He said, you just tell me. This particular man, as, as I observed him, and I know that he was doing this before I arrived, he went to the hospitals. He visited the nursing homes. He went to the jail. He was a man that talked to people about their souls. He was a man that brought people to worship services. He was a man that was greeting all of the people in the assemblies. He was doing something all of the time. In fact, when we moved this particular city, he was the first one to greet us. The first one to greet us. Not only did he come to greet us, but as they were unloading the van, and there were some men that were unloading the van, they weren't from that city, he also helped unload the van. He helped us set around things in, in the uh, house. In fact, in fact, folks, he was the only one that came to greet us. He was the only one there. Now, I'm not saying that to condemn everybody else, but I'm saying that to commend this particular man. He was a man that was willing to do whatever he could do in service to the kingdom. And as I look at other people, I find that they're not, they're not concerned about serving, as Philip was. I had one man that, that I know of that came to the elders in this particular place, and, and he told them, he said, I deserve to be an elder. He said, my father was an elder. He said, my grandfather was an elder. And he said, I need for you to appoint me an elder. Well, what did the elders do? First of all, they told him, we don't appoint elders. <laughs> they said, the congregation does. But they said, uh, we might present somebody's name to the congregation, but we won't present your name. He kind of looked at them and he said, well, why not? And they said, because we have observed over the years that whenever there were problems in this congregation, you were right in the middle of it. Well, after that, he left. <laughs> Went somewhere else. Another congregation in the county. But they were right. All he was concerned about was trouble. In fact, I knew, the, I knew the man before that ever happened. Servants don't think that way. We look, if we're servants of God, we look for opportunity and opportunity and opportunity to serve. We don't look to be served, we look to serve. And it is difficult for me to 
to hear people say, well, you need to do something for me. Just as I was talking about this morning. When in fact, folks, we need to be doing something for others. Those who are members of the body of Christ, those who are servants, will look for ways to build up the body of Christ. They will not look for ways to tear it down. Understand that. They will not tear it down. They will build it up. And when I read about Philip here in Acts chapter 6, I see a man that helped stop the murmuring. Along with those other servants, he helped to stop the murmuring. Servants, folks, do not start fusses. They stop fusses. But I'm going to notice Philip's growth. Turn to Acts chapter 8. In Acts chapter 8, the Bible tells us that Philip was a man that went down to the city of Samaria. Look down at verse 6 or verse 5. And Philip went down to Samaria and he preached Christ unto them. Now I ask you a question. And I want you to answer it if you can. Now, I want you to think again about me tonight. I'm not asking you to think about your neighbor, whoever's sitting beside you, whoever's in front of you, or whoever's in back of you. I want you to be thinking about me. When Philip went down to the city of Samaria, who asked him to go? Well, I don't read where anybody asked him to go. What I see in Philip is that Philip saw a need and Philip was willing to fill it. And so Philip went down to the city of Samaria. In fact, when I look at this and Philip goes down to the city of Samaria, he was going to a city that was, by many of the Jews, considered uh, anathema. They didn't go see the Samaritans. In fact, they didn't go through Samaria. The Jews would cross over on the other side of the Jordan, go up on the other side, and then cross back over into Galilee. That's how much they hated the Samaritans, but not Philip. Philip went to the city of Samaria, and he preached Christ unto them. And what happened? Here is a city that was responsive. Look at verse 6. And the people with one accord gave heed unto those things which Philip spake, hearing and seeing the miracles which he did. Now I want to let you know that as Philip was preaching the gospel here, and he performed miracles in order to prove that God had sent him, he performed miracles, but there was a problem. That is, he could not pass those miracles on. Philip was not an apostle. Philip, as he preached the gospel to the people of Samaria, the people listened to him. Look down in verse 8. There was great joy in the city. There was great joy in the city. Because these people responded. Now look down in verse 12. And when they believed Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God in the name of Jesus Christ. And I'm going to stop right there. We'll come back to that later. You know, Philip went down to the city of Samaria and, and, and he had a very responsive city. 
I don't know how many people obeyed the gospel, but as I look at this, I understand that a lot of people were responsive to what Philip was preaching. The gospel of Jesus Christ. You know, it's kind of like uh, today. There are a lot of people in the United States that would not listen to a gospel sermon. But you can go to places like India and, and some of the third world countries, and you can preach the gospel to them, folks, and they will come in herds, as it were. Because they want to hear the gospel. I, I don't know if that's the way these people did or not. But whenever the apostles in Jerusalem heard about the success at Samaria, the Bible tells us that they sent Peter and John. Now, you know, some men with small minds would have resented that. You know why? Because now Philip's going to have to step back in the shadows. He's going to have to stop to get out of the spotlight. He's going to have to quit being number one, as it were. And now we've got John, Peter, and John coming to lay hands on those people in, in Samaria. Many of them received spiritual gifts. And they needed the spiritual gifts in the first century, you, you, you recall, because in order to be able to preach the gospel, they didn't have it written out in this form. In order to be able to preach the gospel, they had to be inspired. And so they were given various miracles and signs and wonders so that they might prove that when they went out to preach, they were preaching because God had sent them. This is the case with Philip. But some men might have been offended, but not Philip. Because Philip was a servant. You know, I've often thought we could do a lot of things in the church. In fact, we do some great things in the church if people didn't worry about who got the credit for it. Did you know that? Turn over just a moment to Acts chapter 11. You know, I read this passage. This is where the church started in Antioch, or not maybe where the church started, but uh, the church started in Antioch, and it, and it was. In verse 19, now, they which were scattered abroad about the persecution that arose about Stephen traveled as far as Phoenice and Cyprus and Antioch, preaching the word to none but unto the Jews only. Now, later they started preaching to the Gentiles. But here's what I want to point out. When I read this passage, there is not a soul, not one single soul do I read that says... Uh, this person went and preached the gospel. This person established the church at Antioch. It wasn't Barnabas that did it. In fact, Barnabas was sent to Antioch. So who was it that established the church at Antioch? Well, we don't know, folks. The Bible doesn't tell us. But somebody needs to get the credit. No, they don't. Had a lady that told me several years ago, she said, um, somebody had... Um, repaired something in the church building, and she said, if you don't get up and commend this fellow, she said, uh, he won't ever do anything else. I said, what? I said, tell me that again. So she told it to me again. I said, well, let me tell you something. I said, I don't mind commending somebody. In fact, I, it's good to commend somebody because they do good things and, and, and so forth. But if, if it's because they don't get recon, 
nation, if they're not commended before everybody that they're not going to do it again, then I really don't care about commending them. Well, that gentleman really didn't feel that way. I don't know why that woman felt that way. The Bible tells us in Acts chapter 8 that Philip, after he'd been preaching to the Samaritans and after John and Peter came down, that the Spirit spoke to him and he told him to leave and go to the desert under Gaza. Well, some people would have gotten angry when that happened. You know why? I'll tell you why. Because they would have said to the Lord, you know, Lord, uh, you're, you're asking me to leave a good work and go down to the desert. Don't ask me to do that, Lord, because I'm doing something great here. I've accomplished great things. I've been very successful in preaching the gospel in Samaria. And you're asking me to leave and go away? But you see, that isn't the way Philip that isn't the way Philip felt. In fact, the Bible tells us that Philip obeyed. He arose and he went. He arose and he went. Now it's also interesting that whenever he arrived to where he was going, he was going to meet this Ethiopian eunuch, and this is just one man. And you're thinking, here, here's what. A lot of people would have thought, you're sending me to preach to one man, but I could preach maybe to hundreds or thousands in Samaria and probably have great converts, but now you're asking me to go to one man? Are you kidding me? But that's what God told him to do. And when the Lord spoke to him through the Spirit and said, go and join yourself to that chariot, talking to that, that Ethiopian eunuch, about that Ethiopian eunuch, the Bible tells us that Philip ran thither. He ran. Let me ask you a question. Now, I'm past the time where I'm going to run much. Unless somebody can give me a new knee, I'm not going to do too much running. And they could, uh, I'm not going to get it right now. <laughs> uh, how many of you would run to preach or teach the gospel to somebody? That's what Philip did. Even though he was successful in, in Samaria and people were converted, Philip ran thither to the chariot. And he taught the Ethiopian eunuch. And the Ethiopian eunuch was baptized. Now, I want to go back. You know, servants don't get in the Lord's work to get glory. I've seen people that wanted... Um, Recognition and position and glory and honor because of what they do. If we have gotten into the kingdom for that purpose, we've gotten into the kingdom for the wrong reason, folks. We did not get into the kingdom to get glory for ourselves. We got into the kingdom to get glory for God. To bring glory to His name. Servants find something to do and they do it. But go back to, in Acts, again in Acts 8, go back to verse 12, and let's look at that one more time before we close. 
And when they believe Philip preaching the things concerning the kingdom of God, that's the church, and the name of Jesus Christ, they were baptized both men and women. Now, what did Philip preach? I'll tell you what he preached. He preached about the church and how important it is, how you may can't may become a member of the body of Christ because that's what the church is. That's what Philip is preaching to the eunuch or to the Samaritans. I could fancy also preach that to the eunuch. But Philip was preaching that in order for you to be right with God, you must become a member of the body of Christ. How do you do that? Well, Philip tells us in this very verse. In a roundabout way. What did he preach? He preached the things concerning the kingdom of God, the name of Jesus Christ. And after he did that, you had the Samaritans, both men and women, being baptized. What does that tell you? You remember what we talked about this morning, how important baptism is? is because uh, that is the point at which we come out of the world and into Jesus Christ, into his kingdom. That's the very point. It's not at the point of hearing as we said this morning, it's not at the point of believing. It's not at the point of repentance. It's not at the point of confession. It is at the point of baptism that one gets out of the world and into Christ. Now, the other things, as I mentioned, are important as well. In fact, if you don't believe, if you don't repent, you're just getting wet. You need to understand that. But when Philip preached what he did, he preached baptism. And the Samaritans submitted to that. They did exactly what Philip preached. But here was a servant. I don't know that we understand servanthood as we should. I've had problems over the years because of people that did not want to serve the Lord. They wanted to, uh, they wanted to be served. I, I, I just can't understand it. I, I really don't. Why, why would I want people to serve me when it's my responsibility to serve others? Why? For the life of me, I cannot understand it. I'm not the one that needs to be served. Now, there might come a time in my life that I might need some service. I might need someone to do something for me. But folks, as long as I can do something for somebody else, that's my responsibility. And that's yours. I hope you understand that. And when I ask the question, Lord, what will you to have me to do as a servant? Well, I need to follow the example of Philip. I need to serve in whatever way I can, wherever I can, so that I can bring, bring in members to the body of Christ, so I can convince people that they need to obey the gospel of Jesus Christ. And just as that lady was baptized today, be baptized into Christ for the remission of my sins. That's what I need to do. So I'm encouraging you this evening that if you need to be baptized in the Christ, if you need to return to the Lord because there are those that occasionally go astray, and when you do, you need to come back to Jesus Christ. You need to ask His forgiveness. So let me encourage you this evening that if you need to respond to the gospel of Christ, to do so as we stand and sing.